Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing here on 95.5 WSB. So glad you're along this Saturday morning. I feel like it's been a full show and we've gotten a lot of great questions from you. And we're going to keep on going with that. 404-872-0750. But Seth Hawkins with us from the Georgia Forestry Commission. And Seth, we've been talking about summer tree care. Hey, how are you? Good. So we've talked about mulching. What are some other, maybe let's hit up really quickly, some watering rules of thumb for some of our more fragile trees and what we need to be paying attention to in regards to that? Um, Yeah, sure. So, you know, watering is a really, um, unfortunately, overlooked aspect of new tree planting, especially. Um, You know, once trees are large and established in the landscape, they have enough, you know, root surface area that they usually can get the water they need just from sprawling out in the landscape. However, that first, you know, two to three, maybe four years after planting is what we call the establishment phase. Um, And like I said, for about the first two or three years after planting, um, pretty much from March through October, you really should be supplementally watering your trees unless you're getting a whole, whole bunch of rain, which obviously we have this spring. Um, but, you know, the, the faucet's probably going to turn off for the summer, and we're going to get those 95-degree days coming. So watering's a really important thing for your young trees. The rule of thumb is about five to seven gallons per caliper inch. Wow. Um, you want to apply that about once a week. Um, just once a week, maybe in the middle of, like, July or August, maybe twice a week if you have really well-drained soil and it's uh, just gotten really hot every single day. Um, but really, once a week, because trees really like to get all the way saturated and all the way dried out, and all the way saturated and all the way dried out. They don't want to stay moist all the time, because then you'll have root rot issues and things like that. Really good advice. And say that someone did plant a new tree, maybe back in the spring, and it's still kind of short. You know, maybe there's a tree that's only three or four feet high. Um, is it a good idea to put fencing around that or any kind of brace just to protect it, or does it really just depend? Um, it really depends. So when you're talking about, like, um, as far as, like, staking trees, I usually don't stake a newly planted tree unless I absolutely have to. Um, it's really better for the tree to stand up on its own in the wind and kind of sway back and forth and build up its own capacity to hold itself up. Now, you know, if you have deer problems, um, you know, there's all sorts of different options, putting some fencing around your deer, uh, around your new trees, because, unfortunately, deer will just rub against them and no regard for our pretty trees. <laughs> you know, if you're having deer issues, there are some options and um, some fencing or maybe just, like, some tubing around the base of the tree. Just make sure you have space between the trunk and any of that protection you're doing. You don't want anything pressed right up on the trunk of the tree. Good, good. All right. So before we uh, took a break for the news, we had Kim in Toco Hill. Several trees removed. She had a scare with some that fell into the house, so some pine trees and larger things taken out, and now wants to plant more. And she had some ideas. So first, let's cover that elm tree that she had in mind. Um, yeah, so she mentioned um, lace bark elm, which is um, another name for Chinese elm. So there's a lot of different varieties of Chinese elm out there in lace bark elm. There's Athena and there's Bosk elm and a t- several different varieties. Um, but Chinese elm, um, it's a really you know good backyard tree. It's got a really nice base shape. Usually tops out, ultimately maybe 40 to 45 foot, and that's like way down the road. Um, but they do have a nice sprawling shape to them, so they do generate quite a bit of shade, even though they're a smaller stature tree. Um, really pretty exfoliating bark, um, just really cool form, um, and they just have that really pretty elm look to the leaf as well. So that's a great tree. Um, you know, if it's right up next to the wood line, you might just want to keep an eye on it and make sure that it's not, you know, propagating new Chinese elms out into the woods. Um, every now and then they can kind of 
try to spread on their own. But if it's out in a managed yard and a mowed yard or everything, you shouldn't have any trouble with that. Okay. So that's a- and Kim, we've brought you back. What was the other tree you were thinking the about? Other, the other tree is called Slender Silhouette Sweet Gum. Ooh. Try saying that five times fast. <laughs> um, and, and I've seen that. Actually, there's some planted across the street from WSB. Um, but And it's a, a very vertical tree because I've got a side yard that I'm also looking at. And what do you, what, what do you think about that tree? Is it a decent tree? Is it, um, is it a keeper? Um, yeah, so, I mean, all the sweet gum varieties now, correct me, I'm just not sure, is the Slender Silhouette a seedless variety? It's, it's, it's supposed, it supposedly has extremely small ball gumballs, okay. if it has any at all. Oh, good. Um, there's some planted right over by Phipps also, and it's, it's extremely vertical. Yeah, yeah, and so the only thing that's negative about sweet gums in our yard are the gumballs. But um, the, uh, these seedless varieties they have, um, you know, they have all the good parts about a sweet gum. They're tough as nails. They will grow through anything. So, um, you know, it's not going to generate a ton of shade because of that columnar shape that it has. Um, but it definitely will probably thrive in your, um, in your yard. But, again, it's just not going to generate a ton of shade. Now, they can ultimately get, you know, probably 50, 60 foot. I mean, that's way down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will put some height on them eventually. Um, but, again, they're not going to have big branches arching out towards your awnings or home or anything. All right. And, Seth, did you have any other, re- wrapping up uh, Kim's question, did you have any other suggestions for her, maybe just one? Um, yeah. So, like, um, we're talk- it sounds like you're talking about, we-, we talk about trees, a small, medium, and large canopy tree, large being oaks and stuff, maples, I mean, and maples and oaks, the small being like dogwoods and redbuds. It sounds like you're kind of after medium canopy trees. Um, another medium canopy tree that I really love is American hornbeam. Um, ironwood or musclewood is another name you'll hear for it. That's a great tree. Wildlife love it. Native birds enjoy the seeds from it. Um, so that's a good one. Again, it's got a kind of more upright form, and it'll never get big enough to um, maybe cause you know issues down the road that you're worried about. I love it. Thank you, Seth. And thank you, Kim, very much for being so patient. We kind of had to take your, your call in segments there, but I hope we got the answers you needed. We have another about a minute and a half. So Charlotte in Woodstock wanted to say good morning to you, and you're looking for trees, right? Uh, yes. Good morning. Good thank morning. you for taking my call. Um, I'm in a relatively new development, and the issue that we're running into right now is they're going to have to do some correction on a slope that's behind our house. Um, it's eroding. And in the process of doing this correction, we've just found out that we're going to lose a poplar tree that is approximately 70 feet tall. And we don't have a lot of trees because it's a new development. Is there a place that we can go to get help on what to use for replacement trees back there? Georgia Forestry Commission has some recommended species list. I'm pretty sure it's in our resources tab. And if it's not, you can reach out to me. You can find my contact info. And I can provide a recommended species list that we give out to folks. It's got it broke down by size of trees and for canopies or for screenings, things like that. So, Charlotte, how about if I put you on hold, do you want me to give you Seth's info offline? Yes, that would be great. Great. Okay. I would love to do it. So, yeah, when I when I saw Charlotte's call, Seth, I guess we're going to go to break here, but I was kind of thinking, you know, trees that grow fast, a lot of times people call with that, and it's because they want privacy screening. So that made me think of 
talking about some privacy trees, like for screening, you know, folks always want something fast growing. I don't know if it changes the fact if you're building on a slope or maybe not, but just something fast growing is a good privacy tree or hedge. What do you recommend? Um, yeah, so the slope aspect, I wouldn't worry so much about that. Planting on a slope is a little more difficult, but it can be done. Um, when I when I recommend stuff for privacy screens, you know, the Arbor Body Green Giant's a great one. That's the fastest growing of the Arbor Body. That's going to give you that Leland Cypress kind of look. But also other ones, um, Little Jim Magnolias are great um, for screens. Oh, um, yeah. Screen, they're, they're wonderful. Um, several of the holly varieties are great for screens, and they're going to get up quickly where you need them to actually function as a screen. So there's some good ideas right there. And now if this has to be the time of year that we install some of those things, just really key to water everything, right? Right. Yeah. So we're, you know, it's the best, obviously, to plant in the winter when the tree's dormant. You can get away with summer planting sometimes, but you really have to water it. Like you were saying, like maybe double that watering regime I was talking about. It's just a little trickier to plant in the summer. It definitely is. And we talked earlier in the show, too, about mulching and how important that is. Seth, you've got about a minute to maybe touch on that one more time as well. Uh, mulching, I feel like just an overlooked thing. Um, it can really improve the habitat for a tree's root system and uh, really just make it a happier, healthier, more vigorous tree. Again, just recreating those natural growing conditions, providing organic input to the soil. This is one of my favorite go-to low-cost tree care things. Absolutely. Whether you can get it free from a tree company or you go buy some bags at Pike Nursery, mulch is always a good thing. And maybe, you know, it's generally something you only have to do once a year. You don't even have to do it that often. Yeah, and then when you are reapplying, if you already have existing mulch, make sure you stir up and scrape up that old mulch before you apply new so you don't get a fat layer form underneath the mulch or anything. Ah, that is good. I so appreciate your time, Seth, calling. You work for the Georgia Forestry Commission, and we've had a really good time answering folks' tree questions. Oh, for sure, and thank you for having us. Um, you know, it, it, this is a great opportunity to help um, just promote proper tree care out there, so thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's so much we didn't get to. Like, you should see my list. Like, we, we maybe made a notch in the list, so I'll just have to have you back. <laughs> a lot of really good content. Thanks to Seth and to all of you for the great calls last hour, hour and a half there. So I'm going to give you some resources. I want you to get a pen and paper handy So you can reach the Georgia Forestry Commission at gatrees.org. That's the website. Look for uh, Urban and Community Forestry, that tab. And then you scroll down and find a regional specialist like Seth for your area right there. And also something else Seth wanted us to share as well. When you go to gatrees.org, go to resources and you can search by keyword or by topic. And there are some great PDF like document files there that you can look at. And one is a arboriculture and tree care fact sheet. So those are pretty interesting. Some other resources and websites that I refer to quite often that I think you're going to like georgiaarborist.org, but you spell out Georgia, georgiaarborist.org if you're looking for tree care, tree maintenance, or someone that you've just got some questions for. Extension.uga.edu, that is the extension offices from the College of Ag at the University of Georgia. So many good publications there to look up anything you need. Georgiaturf.com, again, spell out Georgia, georgiaturf.com, and that one's pretty self-explanatory, but Clint Waltz, a friend of the show, is on quite often, and they have a lot of good stuff there. At WalterReeves.com, of course, we talked about that website earlier in the show. The old Lawn and Garden Show host, WalterReeves.com, still maintains that website, and it is just awesome. 
All right, it is time to check traffic and weather, but I want you to stay tuned. At the bottom of the hour, I put something special together just for you. I recently made a trek out to West Cobb County. It's not too far from my home, but something you may not even know is going on out there and a project that even you can get involved in. If you like birding and bird watching, and more specifically, one of the most beautiful ones there is, the bluebird. So stay tuned to Green and Growing. Powering through the show together. Thank you so much for listening to Green and Growing. Here we are. We're back. And uh, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. Now it's time to do this. Green Green and Growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. So it's the weekend after a holiday. Maybe you're a little lazy. Maybe you just want to lounge around. So that's okay. You're not expected to work all weekend long, but here's three easy things. So just go ahead and knock out, get the family to help you with. Number one, fertilize crepe myrtles, butterfly bushes, and hydrangeas. All you need, maybe a tablespoon of 10-10-10 all-purpose fertilizer per foot of height of the plant. So that's a good mathematical equation, way to keep it straight. About tomatoes. Number two, although tomatoes are self-pollinating, they need movement to transfer pollen. If it's hot and it's calm and the air is just still for several days, you just have to gently shake the plants to assure pollen transfer and fruit set. But of course, a lot of you are already seeing some fruit on the tomato plant, so good for you. Hot temperatures, too, can interfere with blossom set. Just keep that in mind. And number three, keep an eye out for tomato hornworm. We talked about this earlier in the show. Green caterpillar really strange looking dude he does have horns um i don't know if he's poisonous or not but he's just something like out of a fairy tale i i don't know but they can do enormous damage overnight they just defoliate the leaves on tomato plants and they're also known to affect some other kind of plants as well not just on tomatoes but they can get into potato eggplant and pepper as well so best thing to do just pick those guys off by hand dispose them it's said that you can kill them just by dropping them in soapy water and just check under the leaves and the stems and a lot of times they camouflage into the stem of the tomato plant so all of that keep that in mind All right, looking backwards, good stuff we've had over the last hour with Seth Hawkins of the Georgia Forestry Commission. Now it's time to look forward as we approach 830. I've put together a special piece for you out in West Cobb County, visited with Jim Bearden of Green Meadows Preserve and a great project he's involved in out there. Even ways for you to get involved as well if you have a passion and you have the time for birding. I want you to stick around for that. It's time to take a look at news, weather, and traffic. And of course, we'll be back. Back to Green and Growing. I'm Ashley Frasca, and you are listening to WSB. Hey, welcome back to Green and Growing. Thanks for being here. You know, at the bottom of the last hour of the show, here we are in the 830 half hour. We always have Pike Nursery join us, and glad to do so because they just end the show with a certain excitement and a certain yearn for wanting to get out and gardening. And boy, do we have something really fun for you this Saturday. I want to thank Kara Ziegler with us, the regional manager at Pike, or one of the regional managers of Pike Nursery. How are you this morning, Kara? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing really well. So this is something fun, and I've actually seen a lot of activity on social media, garden blogs and things that I follow, folks wanting more information and how to be more successful with succulents. Succulents are so popular right now, and, you know, in a large part because they're really easy to grow, and they come in so many different colors and textures. It's just fun to mix and match them, whether in a container garden or even put them, you know, in your garden. 
Yeah, Kara, succulents are such an easy house plant. A lot of people think of hens and chicks or even string of dolphins or fish hook, those that trail and they're not so hardy, so they are best grown indoors. But for the outdoors, I have always adored October Daphne, a really pretty, almost fern-like, just explosion of sedum that looks really good even in a pot on a back deck or something like that. And I've really had great success with something that's low maintenance. I don't have to do a thing. Autumn Joy sedum out in the front yard. And tell us about the leaves. That's how we can identify a succulent pretty quickly is those thick leaves. Why do they need that? Well, you know, they store water in their leaves and in their stems, which is great because when it's hot and dry in the summer, you don't have to water them as much. I mean, you really only want to water succulents when they're dry and you water them thoroughly and then allow them to dry out in between waterings. So since they like so much sun and don't take a lot of water, they're really perfect for us in the summer. Yeah, this is almost uh, foolproof for someone who usually kills (laughs) plants because they forget to water. Like, this is easy. Exactly. And they, I mean, you can use them in so many different, you know, areas. Just like you said, they're great for container gardens and you can have them outside in your container trailing over the edge. I mean, you can even plant, you know, some of the sedums like Angelina or Lemon Ball. You can plant them as a ground cover out in your perennial bed, your full sun bed, and they thrive so well there. And then you have, you know, the Autumn Joy and the Autumn Fire sedums that are upright and in September they give us those gorgeous blooms for your garden. So, you know, sedums are one of my all-time favorites. Do they tend to um, multiply a little bit or do they just pretty much stay the same number of stalks that you started off with? How do they multiply or do they? You can divide them, but they do stay to themselves. They don't multiply I wouldn't say they multiply like other perennials that you're used to in your garden, but you can divide them or you can root them. And, you know, you can get you a little root tone and and cut off a clipping and stick it in some perlite, maybe in a Ziploc bag, and, and that will allow it to root. And then it's really easy to transplant into your garden. Perfect. Okay. And we pick up the plant at Pike Nursery this weekend or maybe in the coming week or whatever. Tell me what potting mix or what's the best medium to, to pick up. If you're using them in a container, I would get cactus mix. Cactus mix drains so much better than your typical potting soil. You don't want your succulents to sit in water. And then you want to make sure that you're using containers with drainage holes. Once again, that's really important with succulents. And you want to make sure that you're lining the container with like a little layer of charcoal or pebbles. And if you're planting out in your garden, I I would do the same thing. I would amend the, the... clay that's already there, I would do that 50-50 and and get you a well-drained succulent mix with it. And then I would do a little bit of a layer of gravel in your hole before you plant them. Perfect. Great advice, Kara. Okay, so folks can be successful with succulents. We've given you a hint. You don't have to water a whole lot. How can folks learn more about the stores and even where to find you guys? You can go to our website at pikenursery.com. Uh, we have a lot of information also on Facebook and Instagram and a lot of tips and inspiration. Also, you can visit any of our stores and our associates can help you find everything that you need to get started with growing succulents. Love it. I'm so glad to have you back, Kara. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you. Green Meadows Preserve. Have you heard of it? It's in West Cobb County and off of Highway 120 for those of you that are Cobb County residents and maybe not. Maybe you've never heard of it. Well, I came along today and I want to introduce you to somebody, Jim Bearden. 
He has a vested interest in the Green Meadows Preserve and is the vice president of the Friends of Green Meadows. There's a lot of cool stuff being done here other than the walking trails, the 185-year-old Southern Red Oak acres of just natural beauty that you need to see. I want you to learn a little bit more about Jim's weekly tasks that he volunteers to do, watching and maintaining and keeping a close eye on 30 bluebird nesting boxes. When we identify a bluebird nest, what materials do they use? They like pine straw, and when it's available, that's their material of choice. Chickadees like uh, moss and hair, uh, wrens like sticks and grass and hair. So you can always tell what species it is by the material they're using. Sometimes I go out here and if I don't clean it fast enough, if I have a chickadee, I'll have a bluebird bill on top of it. And then if something happens and they don't lay their eggs, a wren will come in and build on top of that. Which parent is responsible for doing most of the construction? Both build the nest. Only the female can lay the eggs and only she can incubate the eggs. And while she's sitting on the eggs, the male feeds her. He brings her food. And then after they fledge, they are all responsible for feeding them because the babies, after they fledge, are not capable of feeding themselves for the first 30 days after they leave the nest. I guess we'll start with the courtship between the bluebirds. Well, the male is the one that finds the nest site, so he's the one that checks out the, uh, the nest box, and then he has a whole little song and, and flirtation uh, routine that he goes through. Once she decides that she wants to move in with him, then they start building a nest, and normally it takes uh, about a week and then once she starts laying eggs, she lays one egg a day up until five or six eggs. So usually it's four to five, that's the norm brood. She takes a break, goes and finds insects and exercises because once she starts incubating, she's confined to that box a lot. So once she starts sitting on the eggs, it takes her 12 days of sitting on the eggs to incubate them to hatch. And then once the eggs hatch, uh, they're very good housekeepers. They um, take all the shells out, all the waste sacks out. From the time they hatch, because they all hatch the same day, it takes 19 to 20 days for them to develop to the point that they can fledge and leave the nest. Once they leave the nest, they fly to a perch or then up into the trees. And then for the first 30 days after that, you see them out, you see little specks on their chest. And four or five of them will be lined up on the limb crying and begging for the parents to feed them, and the parents feed them. They're not born with the knowledge of how to feed themselves. So the parents have to teach them. And one quick question you mentioned earlier, how smart bluebirds are. What's maybe one thing people would be surprised to know about bluebirds? They don't want a neighbor. They don't want to see their neighbor. Uh, think of a football field. They don't want to be any closer than 100 yards to their neighbor. So I did a test site to try to help with the competition of the tree swallows and the bluebirds. Knowing I wouldn't get bluebirds in both, but I was hoping to get tree swallows in one and a bluebird in one. Bluebirds build a fake nest in one box, then built a real nest and laid their eggs and hatched their babies in the, the box next to it. So they're pretty smart. It's pretty cunning. One of the questions I always ask about bluebird houses, nest boxes such as this, is it true they have to face a certain direction, they have to be mounted at a certain height? Is that true or false for just the standard homeowner? True. Should be six feet tall. Um, should always face east because we get less bad weather out of the east. 
and then we get the morning sun so they can warm up in the mornings after a cool night. We're encouraging people to put up correct nest boxes in their yards so that we have more places for them to go and make nests and reproduce. And what varieties of bluebirds do we see here in Georgia? Just one kind? The eastern bluebird. And their territory is from Canada all the way to the northern part of Florida. The nesting season is like March to end of August. Then during the winter, they live in the trees. They don't migrate. The eastern bluebirds, they stay here. And today, I came to Green Meadows Preserve. This is just natural beauty that you need to see. Undiscovered treasure. It's being discovered uh, recently. But it's a beautiful park. It's a passive park. It's meant for walking, uh, your dogs, uh, hiking. Just a gorgeous place to see a lot of birds and see a lot of plants and flowers. And great place to have picnics. And we just ask that you leave no trail behind. Take everything with you that you bring in. So respect the park and uh, she'll take care of us for years to come. Happy trails to you, Jim. Thanks. All right, thank you. Thanks for coming out. That was an update on your weekend weather. Thank you, Finley Roofing, for sponsoring that weather update. Want you to plan the weekend accordingly so you can keep everything right here all weekend long on 95.5 WSB for news, weather, and, of course, traffic updates as well. So I've been out today. You are listening to some of the best content that we've had in the recent couple of months. Seth Hawkins, thank you so much to him from the Georgia Forestry Commission. And Walter, what a great conversation about tomatoes. I hope that makes you... Go out and inspect your garden a little more and just kind of investigate. Make sure that everything seems to be working correctly. Lots of garden blogs right now just showered in tomato questions, whether it's a calcium deficiency or blossom end rot. Some folks even experiencing sun scald. So just always make notes in a journal or a diary of what you're experiencing, if you can diagnose what it was, and that way you can better prepare for next year. Speaking of preparing... I want you to maybe make things easier on yourself in the landscape this weekend. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. So if you don't know what you can be doing just in between rain showers and, of course, the typical summer weather in Georgia, that's good to fertilize crepe myrtles and butterfly bushes, maybe Mexican petunias, hydrangeas. All you need is a tablespoon of 10-10-10, just an all-purpose general fertilizer one tablespoon per foot of height of the tree bush or shrub and that's going to do just fine once it gets rained in number two although tomatoes are self-pollinating you know they need movement to transfer the pollen so if they're just slow to grow and slow you've just had those flowers stay on and it's been hot and calm for several days shake the plants just to assure the pollen transfer and fruit set hot temperatures can of course interfere with blossom set and of course you've got the fruit growing now just keep an eye on it almost every day to ensure that you don't have pests and number three speaking of pests one you're going to look out for tomato hornworm we've talked about this throughout the show today that thick green bright green caterpillar looks really evil um, and I don't think he's going to hurt you but he can do enormous damage just even overnight to one tomato plant so when you see the damage check under the leaves and along the stem that's where you'll find him he kind of blends in hand pick them to dispose of them maybe drop them in a thing of soapy water and that's going to help flush them out and hopefully get rid of them so again it's been a great show and later on this month maybe even next Saturday I'm hoping to talk to Erica Glazner about a really unique project that's being done 
with Zoo Atlanta, how we're helping to keep all of those precious little animals at Zoo Atlanta fed. And of course, if you want to bring the family over to the zoo, that is something maybe good to do, social distancing during quarantine and all that. You have to have reserved ticket times. So visit their website to set that up. A lot of places you may want to check the websites first or at least the Facebook pages before you go making plans with the family to be out and about. I hope everybody enjoyed the 4th of July last weekend and was very safe in doing so. I will be back next Saturday, and I'm always looking for ideas, whether you know of a really cool gardener doing something neat and different, just trying a new project, or you have ideas for celebrity gardeners, somebody that you want me to have a conversation with, and we can talk gardening and who knows what else. Reach out to me on the Facebook page. I'm always open for suggestions. And you help each other out there, too. I'm really loving starting to see that uh, the post interaction, the follower interaction of folks helping one another. So on Facebook, search Green and Growing WSB. And don't forget to visit WSBRadio.com. There you can go to the on-demand section on our website and listen to shows that you've missed hour by hour every Saturday. I think the shows go all the way back to February when I started. So have a good weekend. I'll talk to you next Saturday right here on WSB.